0: Rob Young, welcome to, uh, welcome to the journey. Um, let me explain a little bit about what the journey is about. And the journey is, uh, just having ordinary individuals on, on the show so that we can capture their stories of transformation, being able to, for different things that have happened in their life, how they have, uh, maybe had adversity. And then what did they learn from that adversity? How did they fail forward? Um, regardless of that was either via athletics or the arts or maybe, um, more serious things regarding mental illness or addiction, or just how they may have changed themselves, transformed themselves, uh, recreate themselves regarding business or work or whatever that may have been. So um, welcome to the journey.
1: Well, thank you for having uh, me. No
0: problem. Yeah. Um, so so Rob, uh, as we always start off with, uh, I want you to tell us a little bit about who you are and, and where you grew up and that aspect of, but before we jump into that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what do you do for fun when you have an opportunity to Have fun. What do you do?
1: So I love spending time outside. Okay. That's uh, the great outdoors is kind of my – been kind of a therapy for me for a lot of the years of and I grew up on a farm so I grew up in the country and okay. spending a lot of time outside so whenever I have free time I love to to be outside
0: gotcha yeah. okay and and I know that uh, you had told me about a trip that you had gone on a couple of different trips in the last couple of years and I know that those were some pretty big uh, pretty big experiences we'll get in those a, a little bit but you said you grew up on a farm where 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 was that at and what kind of farm was that
1: so I say farm. It's more of a ranch, I guess, if we're being technical. It's a 40-acre okay. uh, property out near Kirkland, Illinois, okay. about 30 minutes south of Rockford. And we mostly had horses, but I feel like we've had every kind of animal possible over the years. And, okay. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a kind of an ideal childhood being out there and just being able to run and play. And we had hay, hay and straw loss. And uh, so just kind of a really fun kind of way to grow up as a kid to just have, like, you know all this freedom and all this ability to be outside sure
0: now was that your dad's uh was your dad the the uh, one who raised the horses or was it your mom or how did how that all come about
1: so my whole family's been involved in horses my entire life so okay. i'm kind of the, the black sheep of the family for not being involved in horses okay uh, uh so my dad races and trains horses at the racetrack in chicago and then my mom's actually a full-time barn manager there at the oh. property
0: okay gotcha okay so it's mostly for these are race horses
1: pa- uh some racehorses from the track, but uh, we board for other people that want to come out and ride. Oh, okay. So we have an indoor and outdoor uh, facility for people to ride, and then my sister actually taught lessons there for many years. Oh,
0: okay. So. Now, did you do you ride too, or I mean, obviously, I'm guessing you can't get away from that riding, <laughs> yeah. but um, but didn't necessarily uh, pursue that the same way, right, as your family members.
1: Yeah. So I, I was born. As, as you alluded to, I was basically born in a There's pictures of me when I'm like you know weeks old being held by my mom on, on a horse. so sure uh, I know how to ride. Uh, just never something that really captured my interest. okay. And so from a young age I, I, I definitely lean more towards the athletics okay. portion of it instead okay. of the riding.
0: okay and what, um, and what sports were you involved with in, in high school and college?
1: Well when I was younger, I, I played everything. Sure. Uh, yeah. Soccer was kind of my, my main sport but I played basketball, I played football. Uh, I, lo- I just love being out there and competing. Okay. Um, and as I got a little older, you had to get a little more um, focused on a certain sport or something to do, and then that's when tennis kind of came into my life. Okay.
0: All yeah. right. So, uh, so what high school did you go to? Kirk- Kirkland so, High School. No. So
1: I went to Boylan for two years, my oh, freshman oh, sophomore okay. year. Okay. And then at that point, I was uh, really getting to the top level around locally for tennis. Okay. And I actually played in a camp down at IMG Voluntary in Florida okay. uh, between my sophomore and junior year of high school. Okay, And at that point, they were pretty excited about the way I played, and so they offered me a scholarship to go down there and actually attend their school down there my junior year, which I did.
0: Okay, so then, you, so then your junior, senior year you were playing, uh, you're pl- you went to a, like essentially like a, a prep school or a boarding school mm-hmm. to prepare you for that next level as far as being a tennis player.
1: Right, yeah, I did that my junior year. I senior year, I actually graduated from Kirkland, okay. uh, came back. But junior year, it was a very college style. Uh, I'd go to class for like three or four hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, wake up at 6 a.m., play tennis for three or four hours. We'd have another three or four hour session in the afternoon. And then in the, every weekend tournaments, someplace either around Florida or around, we went all around the world playing tournaments. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, and where, and what did you do with the tennis? So, well, how far did you bring it? How, how, what did you do with that?
1: So, uh, well, I played Division One college tennis, so oh, I did okay. earn a, a, a scholarship to college, which I'm very fortunate and and grateful to have. And uh, and then I did play some professional tennis, and you know, earned a few p- paychecks. But okay. it's a, it's a tough thing to to make a living on
0: yeah I can just imagine (laughs) I can just imagine Um, so for you when you look back on um, playing tennis either during those years when you were in high school or in what college were you at
1: so I went to Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville.
0: Oh, okay. And that's where you had the scholarship. Right. And played for mm-hmm. them. Okay. And then when you did get your pro card and you played um, uh, with that, what would you say if there was something that you could grab from that experience and, and competing at those different levels, um, what would you say that something that you would could kind of grab out of that, and uh, maybe a, a life lesson from that?
1: Well, what, what drew me to tennis in the first place that's so different than all the other sports, the team sports that I played, is that tennis has these, like you enter a tennis court and it's, it's 1v1. You know, it's, it's, like a, it's like a boxing match in a way, a non-physical kind of boxing match. Because while you're not touching your opponent, there's all these different jabs and these different moves, and there's endless possibilities whenever you're striking a tennis ball that you can hit it so many different ways. And so I really love the creativity, first and foremost, of tennis. Okay. And then uh, also the, com- the competition level. And the fact that you're entering this ring with this, this opponent, and one of you is going to be the winner and one of you is going to exit the loser. And uh, just the resiliency that kind of you build, knowing that like, hey, I can't get out of here unless I give up or I win. You know, you have to get out there and you have to compete every single point. And then dealing with failure as well, because you're going to miss a lot of shots. You're going to lose a lot of points. You could have a, a perfect set and play excellent tennis, and you're still going to lose many, many points mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. a quality opponent. And so – just moving on and just when you miss a shot or when something doesn't go your way, just being able to kind of take a deep breath and just kind of be able to move to the next point and, and build that kind of resiliency sure. moving forward. And
0: w- <clears throat> a lot of times we'll talk about the idea that at the time of, of a match, um, the time when the game's on, um, that is only... Whatever the given amount of time is, and but there's a lot of preparation you know leading into that. There's a lot of so so tell tell us a little bit about what it was like uh, to prepare yourself, the practice level, uh, to be able to play at that at that level because everyone else there's equal amount of talent, right? Yeah, and and so what what did you looking back on that? What did you notice regarding the preparation, um, the practice part of it? How how important is that? And how do? You, what would you say from from your from your perspective? What part did that play?
1: Well, I think tennis is kind of a. It's it's obviously not as popular a sport as like a basketball or mm-hmm. soccer or or a football in the United States. And I think some of that has to do with that when a kid picks up a tennis racket, he's not just going to be able to hit it well. You know, it's a very learned kind of repetition uh, skill. Like, I'm not, and I'm not insinuating the team sports or not. I mean, certainly take a lot of practice and skill as well, but you're you're at least doing it with other people and it's fun and you're on this team. There's this kind of, a fun atmosphere around it. So tennis, just a lot of grinding, a lot of like, uh, failure, um, a lot of, uh, you know, and, and I'm kind of a perfectionist. And so, you know, that always drove my pursuits, you know, to always like, Hey, this could always be better. Like mm-hmm. I'm good, but this, I could be great or I could be much better. And, and so doing that and really logging those hours on the court, because there's many, many hours, early mornings, um, you know, hot, cold, you know, you name it, you're playing outside, inside. And uh, just to get the edge once you actually enter the, the court and, and that competition level, as you were mentioning, it's very mental. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very mental sport. And so, as you, as you said, there are two people that have equal skill. If one believes a little bit more than the other, that comes out. Mm-hmm. And that could be the difference. That could be the you know, two kids who one kid could possibly beat the other, but the other one just rolls over him because he had that belief and he had that swagger. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're dealing in that momentum in a one v one kind of competition setting, it really makes a difference. Mm-hmm.
0: And I do think I mean, some sometimes there's just an element of that confidence that comes because. Some kids are just more confident. Some mm-hmm. some individuals are just more confident than others because of maybe, pre, well, because of previous experiences and because of things that have been uh, shared with them and, and things like that. And then there's an element that the confidence comes as a direct result of putting the hours in, a direct result mm-hmm. of putting the practices. And even though, of course, um, like any type of competition when you're going against someone, you never know for sure. You can't 100% prepare for it because – it's a living breathing experience mm-hmm. right and well
1: you can't fake it yeah exactly yeah if you didn't put in the preparation if you don't feel confident that hey you know I'm feeling good about my game right now and you know I, that's gonna that's gonna shine through on the court yeah you can't just go in there and just be all bravado mm-hmm. you got to back it up and sure. so it, it takes a a certain amount of preparation a certain amount of like like for instance when I was younger I used to uh psych myself out when I'd play like better opponents I'd I look up, you know, how uh, they did against similar opponents, and mm-hmm. oh, he beat this guy, and I lost to him, and oh, he's he's ranked this, and he's ranked that. Are oh, always from this big college or this big university? They're really good. And then when I got a little older, I'm like, none of that matters. Yeah. You know, none of that matters. Is like, I just walk in? I mean, I'd I'd make sure that I was ready, and I if there was a scouting report on what his game was like, and you know, I'd obviously have a game plan going in, but. I didn't psych myself out as much, you know, about, oh, he, he's from a big school. I don't care, yeah. you know, it's like, he's a player, you know, and and I have a job to do to beat him.
0: Mm-hmm. It is an interesting, and maybe we can just touch on this because I've just always been curious about this idea of, scouting reports one thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, even though there is a subjective element to it, there there is an, there is an aspect where we break the game down, break down a, a person's play, and you can objectively look at what's being done, right? And what, or, or I should say, what has been done up until this point. And I think that's a phenomenal way to look at uh, your opponent's tendencies. What can, mm-hmm. you, know, what can you do to, to play with that? And I think that's a phenomenal um, uh, tool that you can use. But let's talk a little bit about rankings and ratings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your thoughts about
1: ranking and ratings? In terms of like with kids' developments? or in Well, terms of
0: just- more from a standpoint of like you were just talking about, you would look at someone's ranking, and if they were in the top ten, let's, let's assume in the nation or whatever it was, mm-hmm. that could be an intimidating factor. But in reality, it doesn't necessarily matter on that day. You could go out and you could beat that person who may have been ranked and you weren't ranked or whatever it may have been. But, but what, what are your thoughts overall about the the – the rankings or the I, I i said ratings but I guess it would be the same type of thing in this in this particular scenario what is your thoughts about the subjectivity of that and then how much that plays into everything
1: well it's it's you're right it, it's like psych, it's psychological you know yeah. when it all comes down to it i mean you you obviously are in those rankings by by previous experience or by previous results but you know when you when you get onto the court you know that ranking doesn't follow doesn't give you any advantage doesn't right. give you any tangible real advantage it's not like you're going to start up a couple of games cause you're ranked number one or whatever. And yeah. I'm ranked number 10, right. you know, when we, when we enter the court, we both have an even playing field. And, and as, um, and as I kind of learned to kind of like uh, let that kind of go in terms of that psychological edge, because yeah. if you do let it have a psychological edge, it will affect mm-hmm. the way you play. You're going to play more tentative. You're going to let him kind of dictate his kind of game that he wants to play. And, once i kind of wrap my brain around that hey you know and and the opposite is true too i'd underestimate opponents because they weren't ranked very highly or if they're from a small school or something like that i'd go in there and i'd be like eh, i don't need to work that hard today i just need to get the ball in and they're gonna miss or something like that and they'd bring their a game and mm-hmm. i'd be i'd be reeling yeah you know so you, you get out there and you just you play who's across the net from you and and you do your best to kind of exploit their weaknesses and obviously play your own game and and you know it's it's a beautiful thing because that all changes somebody could be on a certain day and off mm-hmm. a certain day and so whoa the game plan I came in with now is not the game plan I got I got to execute to win right. and so that kind of like adaptability that kind of a nimble kind of thinking it just it's uh, something unique, kind of, to athletics that I just really enjoy, especially tennis. Yeah, well, it's it,
0: and again, I when I say that it's not to you know start this movement of taking away <laughs> rankings or anything yeah. like that. It, it's more from an element I think um, of, of recognizing that the the rankings are part of the game, mm-hmm. and they're a psychological part of the game, not a physical part of the game. Mm-hmm. And 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 then because of that, they can serve both both ways right it could be an intimidating factor but it also could be um if you're ranked higher then you may play not to lose instead of playing to win right and um and so i think there's that's that's the part that always fascinates me with and intrigues me with all types of sports is because it is this moving element um uh, moving entity that is always changing it's not predictable and uh, I was listening to a commenta- uh, uh, some commentary, commentators yesterday regarding a football game, and they were talking about making adjustments. In this particular case, it was talking about the defense. The defense makes adjustments every time they're off the field, not just at halftime. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that was well said because I don't know necessarily if the average fan recognizes that they're constantly making adjustments um, to, you know, t- to try to do something different against the you know, opponent or what is working really well right now. And, um, and I think that's the part that, um, uh, very similar to, um, our work life, right. And yeah. that we have to constantly be making adjustments because what worked last quarter may not necessarily be, um, what we need to do to continue. Um, uh, we, 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 we need to be open to other possibilities. And,
1: Right, yeah, that variable effect and the fact that, um, and similar, similar to what you heard yesterday on a football story, I've heard of football coaches that have plays that they uh, will actually hide all season and then bring it up for one special occasion because right. they know that that's a reveal because there's so much film and technology nowadays uh, about you know the schemes and stuff like that. But just being able to adjust to that and be able to know that, um, you know, in my own life, professional life. That uh, you have to be adaptable and you have to be as as nimble as you possibly can when you're dealing with those type of things. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So w- let's talk a little bit about that now. So you uh, played tennis, graduated from SIU Edwardsville, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you did you come back to work in Rockford or what, was that the I can't remember what was the tenure that happened after after college.
1: So when I was growing up, I was uh, I have a lot of family down south. Okay. And uh, my father is involved in the in the corrugated industry, which, in layman's terms, is packaging, mm-hmm. uh, brown boxes, uh, cardboard, basically. And that's not, you know, when kids are growing up, they're not like, oh yeah, like I want to be in the packaging industry when I grow up. I mean, it's not a, like a sexy industry or anything like that.
0: Racehorses, professional tennis player, yeah. uh, <laughs> packaging. I, all right, I, know, I, yeah, <laughs> it's all
1: over the place here, but. Uh, So I always envisioned myself moving away from, like many kids growing up in this area, and just general, I mean, you always want, the grass is always greener, right? Yeah. And so I always thought, oh, I'd move down south, do something there, you know, invent myself. And then the older I got, um, there was some some mutual interest. Uh, My father wanted me to continue the legacy of the family business. Okay. uh, Midwest Packaging Container. Okay. And I remember I was having a conversation in between summers and college, being like, hey, you know what? I, I want this to happen, you know, but you need to want this. You need to want this as well. And so I said, you know, uh, in typical young bravado fashion, well, let's see, you know, let's see. It's <laughs> like, like, keep I'm my d- options yeah, open. Yeah, whatever. I'm dead, whatever. Uh, but I interned there in between, uh, sum- between summers and between college. And even at a young age, I was like, wow, you know, this is exciting you know there's potential here like we are in a niche that is uh unique that we don't have a lot of competition and not only that from an economical standpoint but also from a sociological standpoint um just how exciting it is to be able to lead people Mm -hmm. because like i discussed earlier about tennis you're not leading anyone you're just on your own Mm -hmm. and uh just the idea of being able to kind of make an impact with a group of people and, and see them interact and and make a difference collectively was mm-hmm. really eye-opening to me.
0: So so after doing that internship, you not only saw what was happening with, with the industry that your father was in, when the business was in, and, and how that was more than you had thought from that end of it, but then you saw the, the, the human capital part of it, the, Mm -hmm. the culture element of that, and then the more the leadership part of it. And, and so, and that
1: intrigued you. It did. Yeah, Yeah, it really did because, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a game changer because it wasn't just about me. And as, as people and myself included, absolutely. As, as I got older, uh, you're kind of worried about yourself right you have mm-hmm. this ego you know when you're growing up it's very kids you know younger kids are very egocentric mm-hmm. and I certainly was no exception you know in college I was all about myself you know and how can I do things to help myself and uh, when I started my working career professionally uh, you got to kind of set a, kind of set aside that ego you had mm-hmm. to kind of put that away and say how can I help the people around me succeed and uh that was something that just kind of was was a, the start of a development of that kind of selfless leader uh, that I aspire to be every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that people are depending on you, you have a job to do, uh, and there's an opportunity to make a make an impact that can really be really resonate.
0: Okay, so when did you um, when did you actually make the leap to go to Um, Midwest, um, full time. What what year was that?
1: So it was right after college. I was uh, graduated in two thousand eleven, moved back to Rockford, bought a home, and uh, started working there right away.
0: Okay, so in two thousand eleven. Okay, and so and then, um, what role were you in when you first came in? And I am assuming your dad was still um, a major major part of Midwest at that Mm -hmm. time. And and yeah, tell us a little bit about that part and what that what that whole experience was like.
1: So I think my title when I first got started there was like executive vice president or something like that. But I was kind of bouncing around. I didn't really have a a – like I was trying to find my my way in the company structure. And some of the senior management was kind of confused about what my role was as well. And uh, I'll tell you this quick story about how I kind of ascended uh, to the top. Uh, So we have these meetings weekly. They're called management meetings. So all the people who represent all the departments – get together weekly and we sit down and discuss big issues right right um, and so usually my father sits at the, the top of the table and the head of the table and uh, so we have these meetings you know I, I think I've been there for about a year or two and he says Rob why don't you sit at the head of the table today just different perspective I said, okay you know naive I'm just okay sure and I sat at the, the front of the table and he sat way down at the end and the meeting started and he usually kicks it off and he said good morning everyone I just want to make a quick announcement that uh, that Rob is now the president, and he's responsible for everything. And you have any questions or concern, you can contact him. <laughs> I'm sitting there, like, deer in the headlights. <laughs> like, uh, I think I was 23 or 24 years old at the time. <laughs> oh, wow! And this table full of, uh, you know, older people who established, worked there for 25, 30 years, sitting there, and they all just go, turn, <laughs> and then I'm just like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you he, like he did he mic drop and then just walk out of the room or yeah, what? He was what is down at the end and he and said he, hey yeah And he just observed so he
0: just kind of yeah. watched what was going on oh okay. yeah all right
1: yeah and that uh that kind of tells you a little bit about his kind of uh management style but also uh i appreciate it looking back on it because uh, i've always been someone who does a try enjoys a trial by fire sure. uh, i enjoy jumping in with both feet and and uh and, and learning by doing
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay all right wow so that was a, probably a pretty big thing so so he so you're with the company maybe maybe two years but mm-hmm. year and a half two years and 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 you know it's it's interesting because i do a consulting for a handful of different businesses and they end a lot of times it's family businesses you know second generation third generation you are the second generation or third generation second generation second generation okay mm-hmm. and um and a lot of times there is this element um, where it's either ultra-defined, mm-hmm. where the person's going to be at, um, and the, it seems to be the hoops are much smaller and tighter for them to get through, or it's looser. And and it's, and it's a lot of times when it's done well, it's it's done that way, and you see that the young protege is getting to see different subsystems Within the overall system, which mm-hmm. will then give them a great advantage when they actually um, do ascend to that to that role of president. So, um, and um, and that's what happened, right? So you so now you're in the president role, and uh, so yeah, what was that like? I mean,
1: well, and I want to preface this by saying that I, I did jump around different departments, and I, I you know did my due diligence and things like that about learning the company, and, and later on. Kind of like, Dad, what the heck, <laughs> you know? Sure. And he said, "You're just, you're ready, you know." In his estimate, he didn't share that with me. Obviously, he didn't give me any warning, but he said, "Hey, you know, you were ready to start taking your lumps," and I did. You know, there's there's learning moments, and uh, you know, things that I wish I could have handled better. And uh, but it was time, you yeah. know, whether I knew it or whether uh, he obviously knew it, but whether I knew it or not, you know, it was time to actually start getting that experience. And um, start kind of forging that vision on, on proving myself every day. Because again, you know, I had the perception when you get handed an opportunity like that is that, you know, you didn't earn this, you know, you know, you're, you're my boss just by, just by, uh, just by someone giving you something instead of by merit. And, and so I had to kind of, uh, defeat that stereotype, defeat that, um, that, uh, that kind of image it was in the heads of so many people. that all around that table. Sure. And how much do you
0: think, looking back on it now, because that was, you said 2011, so that was eight years ago, right? Mm-hmm. How much do you think that that was, um, was, that, was that something that was actually being said? Was that something that was in the rumor mill? Or was that something that you were putting two and two together, that was in the back of your head and it drove you to, Work even harder because you already mentioned that you had a tendency to be a perfectionist. To
1: <laughs> well, both. I, I remember there was one specific gentleman. Uh, he's a general manager. He's worked there for 30 years. Um, kind of a, I'd generously say he's kind of a serious, grumpy guy. I would say, <laughs> okay. uh, intimidating figure. And uh, I remember we were having a, a an argument, a discussion. I guess you sure. so could say, about an issue and. Uh, it was getting kind of heated, and I remember he was just very flustered, and he just said, "Well, you just don't know as much as I do," Th- and that's just it—you just don't know, you know. And he was just—it just came out. He's like, "You just don't know," you know. And I said, "I understand that you 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 think that way, or that may be true. You do more know more about the corrugating industry, but in my opinion, we're going to do this, and we're going to we're going to go this way and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, shame on me. But willing to take that leap and 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 kind of." kind of experiment and not be afraid to fail, mm-hmm. you know? Cause we were doing things and that is the strength and also the weakness of having an established management team and someone who's been there for a long time. You get this, uh, you hear this all the time. We've always done it this yeah, way. It right. works this way. This, you know, this is what we've always done. Mm-hmm. And that, I, every time I heard that I cringe because I, every time you hear we've always done it this way, I hear we haven't tried anything else. We haven't discovered the possibilities of other scenarios and we're going to be very limited in our potential.
0: You know, it's interesting when you say that, that phrase, we've always done it. This is what we've always done. And what I've, I I have the same response. I have the same kind of reaction. (laughs) And I've, and I've learned that, um, when I'm on my game, right, is then that leads me to ask some questions. Mm -hmm. Well, why is it that way? And if they're telling me their why is because of they can't or they shouldn't or they're supposed to or, or something like that, then I know I need to move forward with challenging that, that paradigm. Mm-hmm. If they have a story about why this is what we've come to be doing for the latest season or whatever it is, well, now I at least know their story and why they're entrenched in this into this mindset um, but usually if they're you're telling me their why there's probably also that element in some room in which we can continue to evolve and adapt and where the next one is
1: right yeah and exactly questions usually break that down uh, and when you kind of probe deeper into well why do we do it this way have we tried something else or is it possible to do this and if you start getting answers like well, it's because we can't do this or uh, that just won't work. And we've never tried it, but, uh, you know, that's too much time or, you know, that, that's a whole other thing that we just we just don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. The truth starts to kind of leak out. And then you said, so you're telling me there's really not a reason we haven't tried this or there's not a real, you know, practical. You haven't tried this and failed and tried this and failed. Uh, you've just decided that that's too much work. Right. And then they go, oh, well, I guess.
0: Or too much risk or too much uh, is going to be taking them out of their comfort zone or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. So when you think about your eight years at Midwest um, and and not knowing much about how the business was in 2011 compared to how it is today, what would you say some of the – and I know there's a ton of different factors that may have played into it yes one of the factors are that you you know you took over as president that's one of them the economy is different now um you know than 2011 there's a lot of variables that may have played into this but what are some of the things that um you're doing now midwest is doing now and that you could say you know um we we started moving in this direction by asking those why questions or or whatever
1: well one thing that i'm really really proud of and i want i want it to be a legacy and i want it to be to, to live beyond me is, is creating these processes and creating these policies that are really people focused. Okay, And so I've worked tirelessly to kind of create like a workplace culture that really empowers people. Okay. And so that really fires me up and that kind of gets me up in the morning is that I'm going to go in and I'm going to put so-and-so person in a position to su- succeed. I'm going to, I'm going to make this the best job they've ever had. I'm going to make them excited about getting up uh, just as excited about getting up and going to work as I am <laughs> okay. because <laughs> that should be infectious. Right. And, and through that, we're going to get some really cool stuff done gotcha. uh, when you put people in, in position it succeeds. And we have, uh, when I took over and it was about 2012, we had about 50 employees and about did about $10 million in sales and we had a hundred thousand square foot facility. And then as we sit today, we're at 110 employees. Wow. We have about $20 million in sales. We've doubled our sales and we've added on a 50,000 square foot facility, and then we've invested, I mean, millions and millions of dollars into new efficiencies, technologies, and machinery.
0: Gotcha. So when you, so just for individuals who may not at all be know much about, you know, packaging or any any, you know, any of that aspect of it, um, they may. Um, because they just don't understand, they may think this is just some element of assembly or factory work, or that part of. It. When you talk about th- th- being able to create processes for them to um, for them to be growing as employees, to be growing, to be excited about their job, if you can give us like maybe just a snapshot of what what would that, how would that, what would that look like?
1: Sure. So we do a lot of like pure manufacturing. So. Uh, our facility is just full of like machinery that's turning sheets corrugated sheets into boxes And then all the fun stuff that happens along that process uh, But but something like an example of that would be that uh, The operators have more autonomy to work within a system as they're looking at their their jobs And they're kind of arranging their schedule and they're uh, they they have the autonomy to be able to, to say okay, you know I want to make this adjustment or that adjustments or um, just be able to affect their their output, you know, more so. And and that is a, a key point in what I'm I'm trying to instill is that, you know, the traditional model is hey, you have workers and you have uh, owners or empl- or managers, mm-hmm. and who owns that output? Well, the owners or the managers right own the output, and the workers are, are disassociated from their from their output. Uh, when you actively engage people to be participants into their output and they feel a connection to what they're making and they feel this is the reason that we're making it this way and, and i understand the process and i understand why we're doing it and i understand the end customer and the end goal uh, and that goal is is communicated throughout the whole company and it's it's everywhere and it's you know you could ask somebody you can go up to anyone in my company and say hey what is the goal and what are we doing and they'd be able to tell you mm-hmm. because they understand it's not i'm here to punch a clock and i'm here to make some boxes Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not a fun career. Sure, sure. You know, right. on okay. its face value. So, uh, just being able to, to kind of have a clear and present and transparent system up and down the levels of communication all the way through. So, okay, so talk, talk a little bit about the challenge
0: that I'm just assuming happened. Oh, yeah. What, <laughs> as, as you were leading this, uh, maybe uh, more experienced uh, um, management team upper mm-hmm. management team and you're moving from um, a management style i mean i don't know for sure but i would just assume that there is an element that uh, i guess for a lack of better words of micromanaging and in piece pieces right piecemealing and versus leading because to be able to have operators have that much autonomy mm-hmm. there's got to be a level of trusting them mm-hmm. they have to necessarily know that they're being trusted but to To have your um, next level of management being able to, to not sabotage that um, sure. because you can do it in words, but to actually believe in it, um, it goes back to that tennis thing. Psychologically, you can look a certain way, but if you psych yourself out, it doesn't matter, right? And it yeah. can go the other way. So how, wh- what things have you learned and what things have you had to put in place to um, ensure that the vision's carried out, that it's not this. Um, back when I was working as a consultant, we would called it malicious compliance. Mm-hmm. They would nod at me and tell me that yes, they understood what was going on, and then when they walked out of the room, um, we realized we had more work to do. Because <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because there are there are three type of employees, and you know do some leadership training and some some executive training and things like that. And this was kind of eye opening to me because I never really thought about it this way. So you got your engaged employees that are like mr midwest you know they're mr or mrs midwest they're all excited they wear their tattoos company midwest yeah. Tattoo. <laughs> yeah they're all excited they come into work they're infectious you know with their personality and their enthusiasm sure and that's you know uh, a good corporation is going to have a fantastic organization is going to have like 25 percent people because one in four people are just fired up you know sure um right. the overwhelming majority of people are just you know you could you could try to reach them you could do whatever but they're just kind of there they come in yeah, they do some stuff, they're happy about what they do, but they're kind of they're clocking in, they're clocking out, they're going home. It's not the highlight of their day, you know, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But then you have that percentage of, of, and you can call them toxic or whatever you like to say, <coughs> that are just, they think it stinks, they don't like it, they don't, you know, they may be going along just because they're being dragged along. Um, but most importantly and most damaging is that they're infecting other people. They're taking those middle people that are just kind of not engaged, just kind of there, uh, and they're turning them into toxic people with their toxicity. And unfortunately, if you, you can do all you want, you can invest in those folks with training, with with uh, classes, with encouraging words, and you can have one-on-ones, and you can, you can sit down, and you may be able to get them out of that and say, hey, really, buy in, buy in, let's do this. Mm-hmm. and. I, and I've done that. I've had employees that, you know, were very, very like, I don't like this. This is not my thing. And I don't like the direction we're going. And then they've seen the results and they've seen the progression and they bought in. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who are just never going to change. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gentleman that I was, I was referring to earlier, who was very, very stiff about about the transition, he retired it was mm. kind of a mutual decision but he needed to, to move on it was just not going to be his, ever his thing true and uh, and and that's okay you yeah. know and that's okay and i've done a lot of um tweaking to the management team you know acquiring key people that that i know fit our model and our culture and then the people that aren't going to come along they kind of need to you know it's, it's a it's you need their need to come along or you're not you mm-hmm. know and then that that's going to happen but Anytime there's an organizational cultural overhaul, you're going to have that kind of uh, resistance. But that means you're moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it means you're going in a direction, and people can either go along with it or they could they could choose not to. But we're going this direction. Right.
0: It, you know, and as a my educational background and what I do professionally as as a social worker, we talk about this concept. Um, I remember very first graduate um, social work class I took, and it was this idea of the person in the environment and it it was it was the idea was that the person isn't necessarily bad right mm-hmm. or um, dysfunctional or whatever it may be or the environment environment itself may not be dysfunctional though we could argue on both ends that there are some things that yeah. people do in some environments <laughs> that are toxic but more times than not, more times than not it's a mismatch is that the person isn't matched up with the right environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for me, um, I am a person that enjoys being around people, um, interacting with people. Um, I get energy from that. I may have developed some skill levels with working with things, but even on its best day, it still takes me more energy than I get from it. Where when I'm working with people, it's the opposite. I get more than it takes, so that's a good match, and um, and I think that happens when people are at work. I said, this is the direction we're going in. Mm-hmm. This is the flow. This is where the the culture that we're going to create, and we are creating. It's not that you're a bad person. It's just maybe a bad fit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, it could be a personnel thing. You know, maybe you're just around people you don't mesh with, mm-hmm. or maybe you just don't enjoy your job. And uh, we kind of. We, we try to do as, as good a job as we possibly can with matching personalities in departments and also matching skill sets because you could have a fantastic uh, operator who, who, you know, is a world beater. He does a fantastic job. Output is awesome. You know, he's a happy guy. And you say, OK, Gary, an opportunity just came up to be a supervisor. Let's elevate you. Let's reward you for your great job. He gets into that role and he's like oh gosh now i gotta tell people what to do mm-hmm. oh this is really making me uncomfortable mm-hmm. and uh, now he's dreading coming into work and mm-hmm. and that you just took a great employee who's a uh has an infectious personality and just very positive and just made him into a nervous you know yeah. you, you know you just made him they not enjoy his work experience anymore because you, it wasn't because anything really changed in him it's just you gave him a different responsibility yeah. set that just didn't fit him Yeah,
0: well and i think there's an element to creating really thriving growing culture is that you have that formal leader right mm-hmm. that's in that supervisory role and then you have the informal leader and there may be ways of keeping gary in as an informal leader role and and so he so that he just does the part that he, comes easy for him but then he can be um contagious with yeah. his enthusiasm in that informal role and not have the stress of maybe the paperwork or the evaluation piece of it or whatever it is. And um, and I think that um, helping um, individuals at the management level to be able to recognize that and see that, um, to doing it, lead, leading that from the head coach position down to the assistant coach's position, um, I think that is um, key. Um, not easy, but, but I think it's key because... Um, especially if the if the company or the corporation is set up and they have really rigid lanes mm-hmm. um, this is how we promote this is how we recognize people um, I think then there's there's risk and I understand that we need to have some uh, uniformity but it it doesn't necessarily help us adapt and make changes while the game's going on
1: yeah and so many people think you know, Take every opportunity you can or, or say you say yes to things and that's how you grow well some of the best decisions that are made in an organization are no you know this isn't let's n-. there's a couple people younger people in my organization who are very excited about uh, they they've come in and they've really made an impact and they're buying in and they're excited and they're drawn in Any time an opportunity in a different department comes up everyone's always like let's do them let's let's promote them they deserve it they deserve it and it's, and I have to kind of take a step back and be like, are we just throwing this person in because they happen to be the the, the person that we is on our mind and this this opportunity just came up, or is this the right opportunity for this person? Right. And it's like, calm down, everyone. You know, you don't need to throw this person into this because that's maybe not what they want to do or right. maybe the best best use of their skills. And so yeah, just being able to recognize and kind of fit. It's like a it's like a puzzle piece, really. And if it doesn't fit in, it's going to be it's going to not be a great fit for the overall picture.
0: Right. Well, I want to ask you now, um, you're involved in the community in a lot of different areas in a lot of different ways. And that's uh, I think in in a lot of ways, that's how you and I um, Mm -hmm. got got to know each other. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, your your involvement for at a community level with Rockford, and then you have some aspirations of how you can um, uh, bring that an, at, at another level. So tell us a little bit about some of the some of the different organizations you're involved with, and um, so the so I can learn about them. Yeah, <laughs> so.
1: yeah. Well, there's part of that whole process about rearranging my management team and, and working really hard on that is uh, for like first five years I would just that's all I was doing Midwest every day long hours wanting to get the processes in place to make sure that you know if I took a morning off to do something or if I joined a different board or did something that you know I, I wouldn't come back and there'd be fires everywhere you know sure and so just recently the past few years I've felt good about the room the management room that uh, I've assembled and some of the people are, are are feeling good about their autonomy and finally buying in And I'm like, okay, you know, like, I'm feeling good about this. I'm feeling confident about the organization that I put in place. Now, uh, let's take a step back, look at our community as a whole, how we fit into our community, and and how can I give back in that way too? How can I add some of my uh, my skills and my enthusiasm to the community? And so I've joined a a few really great boards that I'm really really passionate about. Oh, uh, the first one I joined—it's near and dear to my heart—is the Natural Land Institute. Okay. Uh, I did Leadership Rockford through the the Rockford Chamber of Commerce, and and so you get done. With, that's a really intensive class. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with yeah, it or yeah. not, but uh, so when you get done with, you're like, okay, now what? <laughs> it's Like, what am I? What do I care about? You know, what am I going to do? Sure. And uh, so I love nature. I love being outside, yeah. and so the Natural Land Institute was a great fit. I really believe in their mission of conserving and protecting land here locally. Um, a couple other organizations that I've been really involved in recently I'm the founding member of 100 men who give a damn Rockford Mm -hmm. and 100% of our proceeds go to uh, the Family Peace Center which is a cause Mm -hmm. that I've really taken up um, because because Rockford really needs it Mm -hmm. and uh, if we're going to be the community that we want to be that we aspire to be we have to protect our most vulnerable Mm -hmm. we have to be a caring community We have to be a, a loving community and uh, what's going on in our community right now in terms of domestic violence is, is none of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's driving away businesses, and it's driving away folks from our community. Our violent uh, crime statistics are, are higher than the national average, in large part to domestic violence and the scourge of domestic violence. And just finding a voice for those survivors and finding peace for people who have been through such a terrible experience and to streamline that whole process uh, with the Family Peace Center has really been something that I've been getting behind. Okay. Um, and then uh, recently, I'm just gotten into the political arena as well uh, to make impact at, at that level as well. And I'm running for the Winnebago County Board in the 17th district, and gotcha. my campaign just kicked off about a month ago. And mm-hmm. very okay. excited about that as right. well.
0: So when you think about um, being able to be part of the county board right Mm -hmm. um what are you what would you be hoping to be able to achieve i know this is kind of a probably (laughs) i guess i don't even know what i'm asking so it's probably a loaded question so i'm asking for my, for me not knowing much about politics and all that what um what why do you want to be on the board what would you want to be able to do on the board well
1: when i when i took a step back and I'm kind of looking at our community uh, the city of Rockford has made tremendous strides recently uh, Mayor Tom McNamara since he's been elected has done a fantastic job of really um, steadying our presence kind of solidifying our vision and, and our goals and what we want to do in our community and there's just so many exciting things going on here um, there's a lot of like rock stars at different levels you uh, know a lot of a lot of really great leaders that I mm-hmm. admire a lot around here and then when you're looking at where some of the stumbling blocks have been, at the at the kind of political board level, uh, Winnebago County Board is, has has struggled. Um, it's lacking leadership. It's lacking vision. Um, fr- frankly, I don't think this is out of the line to say it's lacking common sense in a lot of a lot of cases. It's been it's been frustrating to watch. It's been in the news a lot recently. Um, and so in terms of like potential impact uh for what we can get done as a, as a community and as a County, uh, that just was a natural, natural mm-hmm. fit to try to help out there.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so, um, cause I know that uh, that was one of the, one of the areas that you're now moving and aspiring to do. Um, y- and, uh, and so what, what, it, from what you're understanding, what, what goes into place? Cause that my average listener probably doesn't necessarily know what goes into place to run for the County board. So what, you know, what goes in place to, um, to, to, to see that through.
1: So the County boards split up into 20 different districts and there are 20 different elected uh, representatives from those districts. Uh, there, there is a chairman position though. That's been in the news a lot, quite mm-hmm. controversial, uh, with what's been done to the chairman. Uh, but this board gets together and decides, uh, sets budgets. Uh, there's obviously Winnebago County Sheriff's budgets. Uh, there's all kinds of different, uh, municipalities under the Winnebago County board. Uh, they're directly impacted Rockford obviously being the biggest municipality. Um, so there's, a, there's quite a lot that is impacted and it, it's, it's kind of flown under the radar for a while. Mm. Uh, people didn't really realize all the things that happened at the county level until it, you know, unfortunately, until it's in the news in a negative light mm. that this is what they're not doing or this is what they're not achieving. And, um, and really the time is now, the mm. time is really now. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I could have waited or I could have you know, gotten more involved in different ways, but I felt strongly that every year and every moment and every month and uh, all the time that's passing is really wasted time for us to kind of realize our vision, and realize our potential, and kind of not kick the can down the road, you know, on on budgetary issues or, or other issues that we're not addressing. We need to do it now. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you think of your experience as an athlete, your experience and what you've, um, what you've done with Midwest, what you've experienced at Midwest, and then some of these other organizations. What things would you want to be able to bring um, when elected? If elected, has that we'll say when elected, right? Uh, what what parts will you? Do you think you'll be able to glean off of um, from an athletic standpoint? Um, growing up in the family you grew up with uh, to the Midwest and your experience with the Midwest packaging. What things do you um, uniquely want to bring to 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 the board?
1: Well, I think that. You know with my experience with midwest uh, especially just coming into a situation and doing an organizational cultural overhaul um, and knowing how long that process takes and how difficult that process is uh, because believe me the winnebago county board needs 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 that it Mm -hmm. needs a cultural overhaul in terms of uh, just redefining what we what our goals are and what we need to achieve and just the the infighting and you know the lawsuits and stuff like that. It's just it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And so I think I bring a kind of unifying skill of hey, let's get to the table, let's relate to each other, uh, but and most importantly, let's get things done. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be buddy buddy with everyone. You don't have to be friends. You know, outside of this meeting room. But you know, we will respect each other. We will have goals. We will have things we need to get done. And and just being able to be uh, to have that communication skill and that uh, background and being being a leader of people and mm-hmm. kind of unifying people because frankly sometimes I think that I'm just like putting people in the room and just being like let's work this through sometimes Sure. Uh, more so than actually the traditional role because it's so much so much communication. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting,
0: right? Because um, because what you just said I think is probably the element if I'm understanding correctly right at the at the at the at the board level the county board level if the role of chairman is shifting and changing then there is not necessarily one particular leader mm-hmm. who's envisioning everything for the board and then you know working at casting that vision and sending that vision there's going to be 20 different districts right and and how does there get to be one particular direction in which we're going in and how to go about um inviting people casting that vision inviting people into that vision and then getting that first and second follower and right and 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 seeing some follow seeing some follow through with that that's going to be challenging mm-hmm. um but with what you just said about midwest um, because your leadership style was to be able to bring all these talented managers together and for them to collectively work out how do we develop this process? It'll be, it sounds like you've had some experience with doing that. And so, uh, that'll be an interesting, interesting, uh, challenge, um, to do, but, uh, it it definitely sounds like you've had some experience with that. So that'll be, that'll be good. I know one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because you love the outdoors and a couple of years ago, I think it was now you went on uh, a trip out East, um, but like far East far east. <laughs> yeah. and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what did you, what what was probably some of the biggest things that you took from that trip and why did you go and, and what was your why about that trip and what did you, what did you take from it?
1: Well, what was really important and impactful about that trip, especially is that as we've kind of talked about, you know, my upbringing and some of the things that I'm doing here, you know, in the Midwest and obviously in the community is that, um, you know at a fairly young age you know you know i've kind of dealt with a lot of a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that things have been thrust upon me and things that i've taken on willingly and just there was a a few years ago where i was just kind of struggling with the with the weight you know because everyone has responsibilities they go through the day and it, it could be the simplest things you know your your day-to-day activities and your chores you know oh gosh i got to get get the kids ready for bed i got to feed them you know, I got, I got to get laundry done. I got to, you know, also work and support myself. And how we kind of process all the things that we take on throughout the day and how we kind of, you know, reach that kind of point where we feel, you know, that we have self-care, that mm-hmm. we have a sense of self, and we have a kind of a grounding kind of like moment in our day where we can kind of go, <sighs> and just kind of like let it all go and just feel and just feel good. You know, and, f- and feel a sense of self and a sense of peace, um, and especially now in 2019, when when we're so attached to our phones and we're all these images are going into our head. And I kind of found a few years ago that I was I was dealing with kind of a a bad sense of self mm-hmm. and a bad sense of uh, I, I had bouts of anxiety, which I never had before. You know, I, I was social anxiety. I used to go into rooms, no problems at all, give speeches, and then I was having like panic attacks almost about certain things and and it it kind of brought to light you know it's like hey you need to align who I am with with all the things you're doing process and also have this like moment of peace that you need to to reach and travel has all always been kind of a a way that I've reconnected with myself Mm. and uh, so this this trip I kind of just I didn't really plan it it was just kind of happened to me There was a travel group that was, takes a three-week tour of thailand i didn't know anyone on this trip uh, i was kind of a sperm of the moment thing i just signed up for it just because having this kind of crisis of sorts and um it was the perfect trip for me mm-hmm. and to kind of get to know myself and also uh just find yourself lost you know in the jungle of, of far e- far east asia it was just a very humbling and, and enlightening experience sure okay
0: and what would you say from that experience? And of course, not necessarily even knowing what you were what you were going. You just knew you needed to do something. What would you say is one of the the biggest things that you took from that? How would they say it? What 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 from Thailand did you bring back to Rockford via via Rob? What was, what was probably the biggest lesson you would or one of the biggest
1: lessons? I think one of the biggest lessons is that. Uh, I mean, we would go to these places in Thailand, and these are these, these are poverty-stricken areas, mm-hmm. uh, people that are, are obviously struggling to just get their basic needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, and they call Thailand, I think it's a land of a, a million smiles or a, th- a thousand mm-hmm. smiles or something, and it's true. <laughs> you know, you go to these places where you assume these people would be miserable and they would be, you know, angry or there would be lots of crime, and, and these people were... Are smiling and they're welcoming and they're wonderful and we spent a few days in a in a village in the north uh, part of thailand uh, these people had next to nothing and we did some volunteering and work with children and it was just really kind of inspiring to see you know that that level of sense of self and that level of um you know though i may not have much materialistically i have this sense of self and i have this uh this This positive attitude Mm. that you know I'm handling these things I'm processing them and you know I'm happy you know with the things that I do have and uh, bringing that back that kind of mentality that you know um, things may not be perfect you know I may not have achieved what I wanted to achieve um, but there's things in front of me and there's things that I already have within myself that just really give me a sense of, of peace Nice. Well, Rob, you know,
0: I think of, and I'm glad you uh, were able to share that story about your experience in Thailand. I think um, from what you, the things that you learned um, in athletics and then um, what you learned initially at Midwest and the excitement you had at Midwest and and the possibility you saw there and then wanting to bring and create a culture in which other people would love coming to work as well because they could create their own space and be part of the process. Um, and then taking that vision, wanting to bring it to Rockford, um, and, and the, at the County level as well. Um, I appreciate you sharing that story. I appreciate you um, letting other people know that that's um, what you're doing at Midwest and what you you envisioned wanting to do here um, at a local level as well. So thank you for being on the show. And um, as always, whenever we get a chance to have conversation, I always appreciate your, your insight and your, and your observations. So uh, thank you again and uh, for being, being with us on the journey.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Um, if you get it, an, oh, and I didn't ask you if you if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get in hold of you?
1: So I have a website, a oh, campaign website. Have, it's voteyoungseventeenth.com. Okay. Uh, I also have an email, uh, ryoung, y-o-n-g at m-i-d-p-a-c-k dot com. young at midpack. Okay. Uh, so you can get involved a couple different ways or reach out for different things. Okay. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Um, thank you for being with us today. Um, as you listen to Rob's story and his uh, vision of what he wants to do as a leader, not only at the business level, but also um, now at the, uh, at the political level, at the local level, and how we can make a difference. Um, as we talk many times in here, Um, we have to first find that light within us so that we can be a light for others in their darkness. Um, And I appreciate Rob sharing his story and I appreciate you listening and look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you.